Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Quartz 96 FM. Good morning. 1850-715-996 is the number. The text to WhatsApp is 083-396-9696. Your email opinion at 96fm.ie. Just checking to see if the lads left the place in one piece on Thursday and Friday. And to be fair, they indeed did. But I was going to start with a bit of fun this morning and just have a pop off the two boys. But why can I? How can I? How can I do that when a weekend, a beautiful, enjoyable, relaxing weekend off for a lot of us? Okay, no jazz, but we were still able to relax and and take it handy. Was just besmirched yesterday by an unspeakable tragedy, an absolutely unspeakable tragedy. You get emails in this line of work. You, you get emails popping in from the uh, guy, the press office, from time to time. And I woke yesterday and was pottering around the house, and I saw an email from the guy, the press office, doing a little bit of work for today. Saw an email from the guy, the press office, indicating that there was a media blackout on an incident in County Cork and I thought, oh no, 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 what on earth is this? And then it emerged in the course of the afternoon what it had been. Here is Superintendent Adrian Gamble speaking to the media yesterday evening. Good evening, and Garda Shea is conducting a criminal investigation into tragic incidents that occurred today in a small rural area in North Cork. This morning, Monday the 26th of October 2020, Gardaí based at Canturk County Cork were alerted to a critical firearms incident at the townland of Asseles, Canturk County Cork, that occurred shortly after 6.30am. A short time earlier, a female in her 60s alerted neighbours that a firearm had been discharged at her home. Gardaí were then informed that three males were present in the house and that one may have suffered gunshot wounds. Gardaí responded to the scene, arriving shortly afterwards and were informed by locals that further gunshots had been heard. And Garda Siakon initiated its critical firearms incident response. The scene of the incident, a family home, was contained by frontline uniform and plainclothes Gardaí with the assistance of armed support. Throughout the course of the morning and early afternoon, Garda negotiators attempted to make contact with people that may have been in the house. Shortly after 1pm, Members of the emergency response unit approached the house and sadly the body of a male in his 20s with a gunshot wound was discovered in a bedroom. No other people were present. The Guard Air Support Unit helicopter commenced an aerial search of the adjoining lands and at approximately 1.40pm two further bodies, a male in his 50s and another in his 20s were discovered. A number of firearms have been seized at the scene and will be subject to later technical examination. Preliminary indications show that both men have suffered tragic gunshot wounds. I confirmed that all three deceased men were from the one family. Both locations have been sealed off and a full criminal investigation is underway led by a senior investigating officer. And the family have requested strict privacy 
at this very tragic time. Yeah, that's the summary, uh, the news briefing given last evening by uh, Superintendent Adrian Gamble. The postmortems will be carried out. You've been hearing in news. Postmortems will be carried out today at CUH on the bodies of Dermot and Marco Sullivan and their father, Tyg. Uh, much of the reaction dumbfounded. Many people just completely caught and stuck and grasping for words yesterday. So most of the response coming in the form of written statements because people just can't put words. How can you put words together to respond to something like this? And there's every kind of a story going around about why it happened and what's behind it. You know what? Two things. First of all, the investigation. We'll get to the bottom of that. And secondly, what does it matter? What does it actually matter at all? Three people are dead. A man and his two sons are dead. And really only they know what happened. Really only that family knows and understands what happened. So what is the point of drilling down into it? But that's what people do. That's the, the, the nature of what people do. Paul Gallagher, who is the uh, PRO at Castle Magnor GAA, was speaking this morning to our colleagues on the News Talk Breakfast Show. And uh, here's a clip of what he said about how Turk will pull together following this unspeakable tragedy. The community as a whole and the surrounding areas are absolutely devastated by the news we woke up to yesterday morning. And, you know, it's not something you would ever believe would be visited on your doorstep. It's an absolutely heartbreaking situation where, I suppose, that community were numbed and it'll take a long, long time as well to recover from this. Yesterday, you know, it started out as such a beautiful autumn morning, but there's a a long shadow has been cast over the community and it'll take a while for it to lift, but we'll have to just do our best and rally around. Castle Maidner is a predominantly farming area and they would have been farming the land. And look, they're a very well-known family. Mark and Dermot would have played GEA in underage with our school with Ballyhas National School and with the Croke Rovers Juvenile GA set up, you know, going back a number of years, but they're a very well-known family, very well-liked family, yes, indeed. We're going to pull together for Anna Sullivan and for her extended family. Obviously, our thoughts and prayers are with them at the moment, and the GA and other organisations in the parish, as I say, will we'll try to lighten the burden of her grief that she's feeling at the moment and we'll do all the best to try and make it through the next few days as best we can. And that's as much as any community can do at a time like this. There have been some more statements issued. Uh, one from CIT, Dr. Dan Collins, their Head of Student Affairs, issued a statement. Dermot O'Sullivan had concluded his studies there just last June and he was due to be conferred next week with a first-class honours degree in accounting. And Dr. Collins said the entire CIT community is in shock as news of the tragic deaths unfold. He said there are no words anyone can say to express how people are feeling. This tragedy is heartbreaking. We extend our thoughts and sympathy to his mother, Anne. We also keep in thoughts and prayers his brother, Mark, and his father, Tig. We're mindful at this time of his friends, classmates and staff of the Department of Accounting and Information Systems, as well as the extended family and neighbours. Dr. Collins said staff at CIT described Dermot as a young man with promise, a hard worker, respected and held in high regard by staff and students alike. And I think his brother was training to be a solicitor. 
happy. That's uh, what his brother uh, what was doing. Uh, also, there was a statement from local county councillor John Paul O'Shea, uh, who said, Everyone is deeply saddened and shocked by this tragedy. And my thoughts go out to the family and to the wider community of Castle Magna and Canturk as they come to terms with this unimaginable loss. There's a strong and determined community spirit in Castle Magna and the community there, I know, will rally around the families, neighbours and friends over the coming days as they deal with this tragic loss. Statements given to us over the last uh, 12 to 24 hours. It has been a bizarre and a horrible end uh, to the bank holiday weekend and no doubt the answers will come. But as I said, at the end of the day, does it really matter? Three people are dead and our thoughts are with them. Uh, Who knew heading into the weekend that this was going to happen? Who knew in that locality, that townland, that area? Who knew that something like this uh, would happen? 1850-715-996. The Takeover. On Cork's 96FM. Weeknights from 7 on the Big Drive Home. We give you the chance to take charge of our tunes. Join me, Lorraine, as you decide what songs we fire up. What we play. See our song list on 96FM Insta Story. Corks 96FM. Now, if there are any developments in that story uh, during the morning, we will, of course, bring them to you and the latest you can get in the news bulletins uh, on the hour. Dee's on WhatsApp said, a tragic, sad case in Cantork. Family need privacy and let everybody rest in peace. We'll park that one there for now and move on to something look it was to be probably the bigger story this morning as people went out the weekend to try to do a little bit of shopping and maybe pick up a few baby clothes or maybe a few bits and pieces for the house and then discovered that they can't you'll have seen a massive story in Wales where some fella in Tesco decided it was a good idea to tape off the sanitary pads in Tesco and and deem them as non-essential items. Well, I don't think we've quite gone that far here. But Sandra was tweeting at the weekend. I have a question, she says. Are shoes, socks, underwear and baby clothes not deemed essential? I can get a coffee in Costa. I can drive through McDonald's. But I can't buy shoes because they aren't essential. However, in Dunn's, I can buy candles and a bedside locker. Sandra, good morning to you. Good morning, how are you? Good. Interesting weekend. Yes, very interesting. What and I happened? suppose I was I was just perplexed, you know, I suppose I was taking in the whole scene and I was doing my shopping and I just kind of thought our shoes like people are having babies, people are still pregnant, people are having to go into hospital, you know, um and I suppose I just was quite surprised that in lockdown one we could buy the basics and I would I would deem shoes and socks and underwear, especially for children, very essential. And I suppose on, when I went on Sunday, the whole place was corned off and I felt for the staff as well who were trying to explain to people that they could order everything online, anything they wanted, and they could buy homewares, but you couldn't buy slippers or socks or shoes or a winter coat or hats. But you could buy a Christmas tree. <laughs> but you could buy a Christmas tree, yeah. yeah. And I suppose, I, suppose I, I suppose I take, I look at it, 
like everybody is stressed at the moment. This is a very uncertain time and I get the businesses have closed. I understand all of that. But the basic hierarchy of needs to me would say that you need to be fed and clothed and feel, you know, safe and have a roof over your head and all of that. And certainly I wasn't panic buying and I think a lot of people were trying to be sensible. So to not be able to get hats and gloves now to me, you know, is, is a little bit like I don't have them for my kids. I have three kids. I haven't bought hats, scarves or gloves. Um, but I can order them online. Do you know? So I was just a little bit taken aback when I saw 15 people in the drive through in McDonald's, but I couldn't buy a do, hat. Or do a you remember it, Sandra, being this restrictive the first time? Um, no, I don't think it was. I think you could you could buy the basics. You could buy the basics, and that's what you could buy. And I think that was that was okay. I think you know, you, and McDonald's was closed the first time, and the coffee shops were closed the first time. So it just seems a little unbalanced, in my opinion. As I suppose, as a parent, you know, my kids have two pairs of shoes. They have their school shoes and their runners. So mm. I'll be in trouble if somebody jumps in a puddle. You know, yeah. um, so I, and not everyone has. I suppose, access to the internet. Not everyone's internet savvy and not everyone has a debit card or a credit card to order online. And that's where I kind of felt for the staff who were saying, we can't actually sell you anything that is in the home, in, in the clothing department today. Yeah, yeah. I was in Tesco's in Mahon Point yesterday and they had, they have quite a sizable clothing department. Clothing department. They, are, they have it all cordoned off with the exception of one aisle into which they put socks and jocks and some baby clothes and stuff like that. You'd wonder, though, is it browsing, Sandra, they want to stop people spending ages in a drapery section browsing over jeans and jumpers and shirts and stuff like that? And look, it could well be that, but I think that's up to the store to manage. You can still order anything online and go and queue up for it, so you can still go in and collect the stuff. So it's not about having people in the shop, and I think that's about the shop managing how many they allow in at a time in terms of, browsing. Now, I myself wouldn't be browsing, but I suppose somebody who responded to me, uh, PJ, um, on after my little rant, um, has a child with um, additional needs and she's potty training him. And she said to me, I can't keep up with the with the underpants and the change of the clothes. And now I can't buy any. And she's very upset this morning, you know, and I suppose those are the people or the people that have just had a baby and maybe it was that bit smaller than they thought and they can't get yeah. The baby. Well, they couldn't on they couldn't on Sunday when I was in there and done. You couldn't buy baby clothes. Maybe that has changed since Sunday, but you couldn't on Sunday buy bibs or. It, it seems or, to be kind of arbitrary based on the the messages we're getting into our various WhatsApp group. One branch of a of a shop will have something. Another branch won't have, and everyone is trying to decide what's essential and what's not. Yeah. Yeah, and look, what is what, what's essential for one person will be will be different to what's essential for another person. Yes. But I would just bring us back to we have basic needs, and those needs include clothing. And I would think that we're actually increasing fear and stress among people now that if we end up having to go into another one of these, and I'm not disagreeing with being in the lockdown or, you know, my bubble is extremely small. We go nowhere, we see nobody. But the next time, that, that's going to cause panic buying. You know what I mean? Because now we're, we were told you'll be able to get everything. Don't be stockpiling. So, you know, that's I an excellent point, actually, Sandra. Now that you mention it, because we were told when we were coming into level five this time out that there'd be no need to go panic buying anything. We were laughing about another run on toilet paper, but the, and the likes of that. That didn't happen. But now to find that that you can't even buy some vests and and underwear for the children. 
Yeah, I just think, I suppose I was just perplexed and I suppose that's why I'm still asking the question, I suppose, can someone explain to me why that change has happened? I understand that retailers have had to close. My heart breaks for people in business right now. My heart breaks for people that have lost their jobs. But Duns and Tesco sold all this stuff during the first lockdown. So I don't, you know, there was no um, indication given to the fact that they wouldn't be allowed to continue to do that. And I suppose, you know, I was able to buy... I didn't buy anything now, but I was able to buy Christmas cushions and a Christmas tree. I don't really deem that essential right now. In December, is it essential to be able to buy a Christmas tree? It probably is, you know, yeah. for people to have a Christmas, but not in October. And it I, but I it seems very away. much to be varying, and you you can speak only for the, 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 the branch that you were in. We can't say, what, and I can only speak for the Tesco that I was in, we, we can't say what the case is in every single one. But there would seem to be some level of confusion or at least blurring of the lines as to what you can sell and what you can't. I think so. And I think, look, there just needs to be some clarity for people, you know. Um, but I suppose what, what surprised me was the girl, the poor girl, like she was so lovely. She said, you can buy anything you want in here online and you can come in and collect it, but you can't buy the basics. So I just think that there needs to be clarity on what is the basics. And to me, as a parent, the basics would be, you know, socks and underwear and shoes for children and what if you were to go into hospital and you needed to get a pair of slippers and maybe you needed to get a, a house coat not everybody has one those sort of things to me are, are essentials you know um, I don't you know like basics very basics you shouldn't like nobody needs to go in and buy um, you know designer clothes or it's not about that it's about just meeting I think the basic requirements especially small children and babies they grow at a rapid rate mm. and the worry that that I like if I were pregnant now the worry of not being able to gain access to that would be causing me anxiety and I suppose I just I just asked the question why has it changed and could we have clarity on what is essential that that for me is what I'd like that's probably the best question to be fair we've got five weeks left in this and it would be prudent for some government department to issue a definitive list as to what is and is not essential and, and then you can do it. Like Tesco in town we're hearing here are selling underwear, socks, tights, nylons, basic non-fashion type uh, baby clothes but then other branches seem to have a different policy. Sandra, thanks very much for that. 185715996. I can second Sandra on this. My partner was refused underwear at the weekend but I was able to purchase new pants and socks and candles and a pillow but she couldn't buy underwear in a shop that we went to. This is madness. Billy says if anything should be taped off in the supermarket, it should be the off-license section. The damage it causes to health and the relationships, etc., and it lowers people's resistance to keeping safe, says Billy. Well, Billy, on the subject of that, we spoke to Michael Gearan last week on the show, and I asked him the same question that I asked him during the first lockdown about about off-license sales. And he said you would probably cause more problems than you would solve by stopping that. And Besides, it's it's a legal substance. People need to exercise some bit of self-control. I completely agree with him there. But stopping off, off sales would be a disaster. In fact, in South Africa, we heard this across the summer, in South Africa, when they reopened the off sales, they discovered a lot of them had been quietly robbed while they were closed. Uh, Kate says, your mother always told you look after your underwear. <laughs> you wish you had now. I think underwear for the winter might be something that catches people out unawares. 1850-715-996. I don't remember this level of restriction in the first lockdown because 
remember shopping in the aforementioned Tesco in Mahan Point and they had a particularly nice range of short sleeve shirts. So I bought all the colours. Just went a bit mad one day. I was able to buy shirts in the first round of lockdown in Tesco. Yesterday, if I wanted to, I couldn't buy a shirt in Tesco or I couldn't buy a shirt in Dunn's at the weekend. But what happened the last time, and I remember this discussion because it came up here, was a lot of small retailers who sold things like shirts and jeans and other kind of clothes like that, some toy shops, and also a lot of homeware shops like and people who sold the likes of bed linen and pillows and sheets and stuff. They objected to the fact that Duns and Tesco's, to name just two, Duns and Tesco's could sell these things, but they couldn't because they had to close in the first lockdown. Maybe that's a follow-on from all that happening. 1850 I'd like to know your particular uh, shopping experiences over the weekend. Yesterday, I was actually able to buy a printer. Uh, and I, I, was, I remarked that, hang on, I can buy a printer, but I can't buy a shirt. But then, of course, uh, the guru that, of all things... <laughs> a lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Regulation. Uh, Fergal Barry informs me, yeah. But you might be using that printer to work from home. So it's a perfectly essential item. 1850-715-996. Cork's 96FM, The River Lee and The Echo. Let the case begin. Bring you the Cork City Sports Athletics Awards. Every month, a panel of experts give recognition to an outstanding Cork athlete. The latest awards went to David Cusson of Old Abbey AC for his gold medal achievement. Phil Healy from Bandon AC for winning her 100 and 200 metre national titles. And Nicola Tuttle of Bandon AC for her performances in the women's hammer throw. The Cork City Sports Athletics Award. Cork's 96 FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show, The Opinion Line, with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now, 83 On Cork's 96 FM. 
Yeah, I'd like to hear from you if you came across any strange anomalies over the weekend of what you could and you couldn't buy. Sandra, another Sandra. I was in Dunn's. I could get baby clothes on Sunday. There seems to be no problem. As far as I can see, that was Dunn's in Ballyvalan. Jerry then says, Hi PJ, we're not in a level 5 lockdown, just an enhanced form of level 2. Small businesses are shut down that we need, but yet public services are open and they're not necessary or essential in so many cases. Schools are still open. The school's now off on mid-term. We're all restricted to travel five kilometres and I see groups of people gathering. Families are out walking and all meeting up and groups of teenagers are gathering. So it's all counterproductive and it doesn't make sense. Another question that arose on Friday, I got a phone call on Friday from a friend of mine who was asking me quite a pertinent question. He said, PJ, he said, um, since when is a parking warden an essential worker? Because this aforementioned friend had seen a parking warden patrolling in the city centre. Now, the last time, during the first lockdown, they were taken off the streets for a period of several weeks. It could have been six or seven weeks. And it was deemed that city centre on-street parking would be free because pretty much anybody who was in the city needed to be in the city either in some form of essential work. So on-street parking was free and there were no wardens. Last Friday, two days into Level 5, I heard a very dependable report that we actually still have parking wardens. So we've put in a question or we're going to put in a question to City Hall. Are the parking wardens still out? If they are, why are they? Since when are they essential workers? And why, if they're essential workers now, were they not essential workers the last time? 1850 715996. This has to stop, PJ. All these shops closed till the 1st of December. It'll cause a very big problem when they all open. It'll be thronged and the virus will go rampant. That's a point, a valid point, that when everything opens up again, in or around, I think it's the 6th or 7th of December, when everything opens up again, there would be stampedes. Do you remember when pennies opened on the 12th of, of June? And we had great fun with it here on the show that morning. But you'll have that by a hundred, by a thousand, if everything opens two and a half, three weeks before Christmas on the 7th of December. You could have a, a serious problem then. My wife works for a large retailer. They can't sell you a shirt or jeans or shoes, but they can sell you a mirror or a knife and fork. Well, knife and fork would be kind of essential. You need them to eat. Mirror could be needed for a medical reason, medical purpose. You can pretty much apply a, an essential nature to anything hardware-wise. That's that's the, the, the thinking, anyway. 1850-715-996. Over the weekend, I said I would do this. And over the weekend, I caught an up again with our new friend, our newly acquired friend in Queensland, Australia. And that is Dr. Niall Conroy, who I first spoke to last month about how things were going there. Um, he was telling me about the, the lockdown in Melbourne and how that was approaching an end. That's ending. I think that ended yesterday or the day before they've announced the end to that lockdown. But he was telling me about how Queensland has been COVID-free now for quite some time and continues to be. You'll remember that we had a call on the show last week from somebody in Perth, a Cork fella from Crossaven, living and working in Perth. And he said, yeah, it was very hard. It was very tough. But now we've got our lives back again. We can live fairly normally. So I said, and, and Niall Conroy has been following the show on Twitter and I read out one or two of his tweets and he's getting involved in the debate on whether or not you can eliminate the, viol- the, the virus. He's also been very outspoken, very, very outspoken on this 
notion that you cannot eliminate the virus. And furthermore, on the state of public health in this country. The way the public health system operates in Ireland. So we had a good long chat about all of those things. Niall, good to talk to you again. And I know since we spoke the last time, I've been reading your tweets on the show and I know that you, you follow us now. We're gone into this six-week level five. Realistically, did we have an option, I suppose, is my first question. Hi, PJ. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Um, good question. I, I I don't think we did. Um, so Ireland now, you know, watching from afar is up to sort of you know, a thousand, thousand plus cases a day. And I know it dropped a little bit in the last day or two, but, you know, that that's your ballpark. And really, um, when you get to that stage, you know, that level of disease, you, you don't have an option other than to, to, to go into lockdown um, or, you know, what we call in public health, impose some population level restrictions. Um, all the stuff that, that people talk about, you know, in terms of the public health response, all the contact tracing, test trace, isolate, whatever you want to call it. Um, it, it was never designed for a thousand cases of anything a day. We, we, we've been doing this stuff for years. Um, you, you know, I've been doing it for non, non-COVID non stuff this weekend and work, you know, for, 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 for 20, 30 people. It, it was never designed um, for, from, for use at a thousand, um, a thousand cases a day. So these population never work these population level restrictions work very well and the point of them would be to get the cases back down to where you can manage and your contact trace the system isn't get overwhelmed and your public health units aren't getting overwhelmed so yeah i i don't see um any option pj other than i don't see that they had any other option than um you know than, than going to level five or something similar you can appreciate, I suppose, the business community and people who've lost their jobs temporarily and some of them won't get those jobs back. At the end of the day, is it health before wealth or do you have to put the two into a, into a balancing act? Yeah, you've, you've got to balance them. And God, PJ, I've, I've put people into quarantine who were, were small business owners um, when, when you just knew that that was going to be you know, an absolute disaster for them. In public health doctors are by our nature, you know, we look at the health of the population and all of the things that affect your health, including, you know, the, the economics of that. And we're very well aware of that, very cognizant of that. And there isn't, there isn't a public health doctor in Ireland that I speak to who isn't just, you know, desperately sad for all the, the economic fallout here. Um, but it, there's, there's no good, no good, sort of economic win here quickly. Um, you let the virus go uncontrolled, and we, we know from outbreaks around the world that when you get to a point um, of just letting the virus run loose, like say, for example, you don't impose a lockdown, then actually, you know, people, people are very good at self-preservation. And what would ultimately happen in a week or two would be people would start to, to self-isolate themselves and not go to the shops and not socialise and the whole lot, you know? So whether you have a lockdown or not, um, you know, people are people are going to be less social. But the the, the reality is, or, or so we're told. And I, I'm not an economist. I wouldn't wouldn't dream of trying to talk economics. But I suppose what the, the economics people tell us is that the best way to return to some kind of economic normality is to you know is to get levels of of the virus down. down. And certainly, what, what I'm always saying is that here in Queensland. Or we have no COVID at the moment. Um, economic activity 
is, is back to, to almost normal. Of course, we don't have overseas um, visitors, but, you know, restaurants are buzzing, bars are buzzing, there are shows on, you know, you can go to, go to the football, you can go to a stadium, that, that kind of thing, you know. So, I, I, you know, I think it's a difficult situation. There's no easy win, but letting the virus kind of run free, if you will, is not going to be conducive to, to any level of, of sort of um, predictable economic activity, to, to my mind anyway. Coming back to the months of June and July, and as I compare the figures, as I often do on the show, uh, to where we are now and where we were then, we pretty much had it licked in this country coming into early June. There's a school of thought out there now that says Leo Varadkar came out of it too fast, got overexcited and came out of it too fast, and that that's partly the reason why uh, we are where we are. Yeah, and... If he did, um, he wouldn't be the only one. This has been a this has been a, a pattern globally that that lockdowns really take it out of a population, and as soon as they see evidence that things are improving, that there's an awful lot of political pressure um, and pressure from the public to to, to ease that. I, and you actually see a lot of countries would would look back in hindsight and say they may have come out of things, they may have come out of a lockdown too soon. Classically, what you would do before you would. Um, before you would move from one step to another is to have your cases sort of stabilized for around 28 days um, to, to sort of to make sure that, that that you're stable at one level before you move to another and you would move to it you would move levels very very slowly and um, you know I, I think a lot of governments didn't didn't do that but that the plan I think now is to you know is to not um, move too quickly. I think the plan, if I understand it correctly in Ireland, is to move from level five to level three, um, you know, at, at the end of this six weeks. But I suppose that the question I, I always ask about lockdowns is, what are you doing in the meantime? So lockdowns, by their very nature, can be predicted. So any public health doctor in Ireland would have told you back in June or July that when you ease restrictions, you haven't changed any of the sort of the underlying conditions for the virus to you know, to replicate, you've just got less of it. But, you know, as people move around more, the virus will multiply and, and you, you'll, you'll get another spike and you'll need another lockdown. And that's, what, that's what's happening here. You, you know, you're into a world of recurring lockdowns. And, you know, you, you have to think about what you're doing in the meantime to once the cases get low enough that the public health units, the contact tracing teams, that kind of thing can, can start to exert some kind of control are they resourced to do that relentlessly? Because it doesn't work in half measures. It needs to be absolutely relentless, you know, and can they do that on a sustained basis for months and months and months? And um, that would be my question, I suppose, is what are we doing in the meantime to keep them as low? You won't keep, let's be clear, you won't get them down to sort of, you know, 40 or 50 cases a day or 60 or 70 or whatever and keep them at that. They They will come back up. That's the nature of this this type of virus it's how long you can keep it suppressed for you know do, do you are you going to keep it suppressed until january or february or is it going to be april or may and um, until you sort of while you're choosing to live with the virus you have to accept there will be there will be spikes and it's how long you have between spikes is the key and you've, you've really got to start resourcing public health units resourcing contact tracing teams resourcing the labs to test people all these things have to happen. And I'm not on the ground in Ireland, so um, hard to know what's happening. But certainly from my public health unit colleagues, it doesn't feel like they're 
drowning in resources in the way that they they really should be as in, in preparation to come out of a lockdown. Yeah, you've been talking about that a lot on your social media, Niall, about how our is it eight regional units we have in this country, understaffed and under-resourced and not able to do the kind of localised stuff that you would do in Queensland. Yeah, it's, it's depressing to watch. And, you know, it's not a, not a political thing. This has, been, this has been the same under every government for the last 20 years that the, um, the you know, what, what happens in Ireland when you, when you qualify as a specialist in anything you get a consultant contract and all the authority and the team and everything that comes with that. Um, uniquely for public health, for some reason that nobody can explain, um, they decided that when you qualify as a specialist in public health medicine, they say, well, you can't have a consultant contract. You can have this sort of other contract we've made up just for you, which doesn't come with the authority and the sort of the autonomy. It doesn't give you the team that you need to manage these outbreaks. Like in Ireland, I wouldn't have a team if I work there over here on a team of 16 people and PJ, I need them, you know, and I have a lot less COVID to deal with here than in Ireland. And there have been times when, you know, me and the team have been absolutely run ragged. So I don't know how the guys in Ireland are doing it. Like people like me went abroad, not for more money. It was the ability to do my job properly, to, to have that, that authority and autonomy and the team to, to do what I need to do. These are literally the country's top experts in outbreak control. They, they manage outbreaks for a living. I don't know if people sort of understand that or know that in their regions they have these public health units dotted around Ireland and they manage outbreaks of meningitis, whooping cough, you know, you name it, whatever, um, in challenging situations all the time and, you know, homeless shelters, and schools, places like that, really difficult situations. And these guys are the experts in outbreak control. And, um, you know, outbreak control doctors like me, public health doctors are, are given the sort of authority and the autonomy and everything else that we need in other countries like Australia and New Zealand, but it just hasn't happened in Ireland yet. And I, I think it's just a, I, 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 would, I would say to be fair, I think, um, you know, Stephen Donnelly wants to do it, but whatever about the bureaucratic processes that, you know, the wheels turn slowly, but, you know, they, they, they need to sort that out nine months into a pandemic. It's, it's too slow. There's this constant claim that, oh, you couldn't do Ireland what they did in Queensland or the rest of Australia. You couldn't do what they did in New Zealand. That's just not possible because we have, they throw up the northern border. They say we can't put people into hotels. We could do all those things here. I think that's your firm belief. Yeah, uh, what I would say is there, there are two elements to this. There's the, the sort of the public health disease control element. And there is no question, and there, there can be no question, that if you put a virus within a border and, you know, you control that border um, and you aggressively go for it, there's no question um, that you can't, you can't eliminate it. So pe people are saying it's impossible, it's impossible, can't be done. From, from a disease control perspective, they're wrong. And, and, and no public health doctor would tell you any differently. Within a, within a, a sort of a, an enclosed border, you can chase down a virus like this and you can eliminate it. The issue is, of course, new cases come in all the time. There was a very good paper this week by, by um, some of the, the public health doctors in Cork actually showing, um, talking about airplane transmission into Ireland. I think one case seeded another 60 cases. Um, there's this big problem, you know, um, imported cases. So you, you need to look at um, border controls. Now, 
I, I think when people say it's, it's impossible, I, I get where they're coming from. I, I really do. It's, it's the political side of it. So the disease control perspective, you can do it, no question. Um, from a political perspective, can you do it? What I would expect to see if I were living in Ireland and I, and, and I knew that technically this, this could be done, I, I would want to see some some obvious efforts and negotiations with, with, with politicians in the north and on the mainland UK trying to see is this is this something we can come to an agreement on the sort of idea that no we just can't do it is, is a little defeatist and, and I get normally these sort of cross-border things I get how messy it is and how awful it is I know people always call me naive for thinking we could come to a solution but even if we couldn't could we could, could we try you know can we talk to people up the north we talk to people in the UK. Can we talk to our European colleagues? If we did this, would it work? If we did that, would it work? And, you know, but look, that, that's, that's my opinion, PJ. I'm not, I'm not in charge. Coming back, I suppose, to the, the, the problem at hand, which is we're now in level five. We're supposed to come out of it, I think, five weeks Wednesday. What mistakes must we not make when we come out of it? And, of course, the big temptation is we'll be coming out of it two and a half weeks to Christmas. What mistakes must not be made? Well, it's about what you have to do rather than what you don't have to do. And what you have to do is be absolutely, absolutely relentless. Once you've got your cases down to whatever, I I don't know what the aim is um, or or whether there is an an aim in terms of number of cases a day or percentage reduction. I think Tony Holohan said last week that if we can get down to between 50 and 100 cases a day, that will have achieved what they set out to achieve for the five six weeks yeah fair enough and let's you know let's sort of say that it's it's somewhere between that 70 you know then we 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 know internationally that even the best sort of systems uh, only find about a third of their cases so let's say you get down to 70 that assumes you have about 200 um now, we, we, we know that roughly when we look at the spread of this thing, that people spread it to two other people, you know. Um, so very quickly, 200 can turn to 400 to 800. You, you can end up where you are, back, back, back where we are now very quickly. So what you have to do is you have to absolutely hammer this thing. First of all, you have to find all the cases. And, and, and that's, that's challenging. I, 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 I do feel sorry for for the guys at home, because the way to find all the cases is to test as many people as possible. But the, the testing system is sort of at its limits. And, you know, globally, the people who do these tests are so highly qualified, it's not easy to just get pull them out of you know, thin air and the reagents and everything are a, such a premium. It's difficult, but you have to test people to find them. And when you find them, you have to be relentless. Like what we do in Australia is if you're a case... We, we quarantine you, and it's a legal thing. And we, we quarantine your close contacts, and that's a legal thing. That's not, we'd like you to restrict your movements or whatever phrase. That's, you must quarantine. And we've, we've built up a very good sort of support service around that that I really like, and it's really been helpful in keeping some kind of control over um, cases and their contacts. For example, um, we, we would call, you're in quarantine if you're close contact and you're stuck at home and it's, you know, it's, it's an offence to go out unless you need medical care or something. But we will ring you every day and make sure you've got groceries. We provide psychological support if, you know, if, you, if, you're, if you're struggling with the isolation. 
we'll, we'll provide a, a GP to your house if you have a bad back. You, you know, we, we, we support people in that space, but we're very strict on that and, and we're really relentless. And, and the other thing we do is we hunt down all of the contacts. I hear a lot of European countries talking about, well, we, we have our cases and we, we manage to contact trace 75, 85% of, of, of their, their contacts. We would, I mean, trying to think back, we would nearly always get 100%. We would be absolutely relentless in finding all their contacts because that one person you miss could have COVID, pass it on to two more people who become four, who become eight, 16, 32. You can see where it's going. Um, we regard any contact as a potential new chain of transmission. And a chain of transmission is bad news because they get very big very quickly. So I, I think you've... You've got to be relentless in, in chasing down cases and their contacts. I think that's the lesson we've learned. Now, as always, uh, thank you for your insight. We're, we're quite jealous of you there in Queensland, facing into to normal times. OK, with the borders closed, you are facing into a very normal Christmas. Is there a risk involved in, in, in returning to the normality? Yeah, um, I, I, was, I was on local radio here this morning asking more people to get tested because our testing numbers have dropped. And my concern is that we'll, we'll get a case sort of like New Zealand did that sort of came out of nowhere. You know, that's always a risk. And if you get a case that comes in and, you know, c- comes out of nowhere and you're not expecting it, those transmission chains get very, very big before you, um, before you identify it. And it's my biggest concern. It's what keeps me awake at night. So, so it's basically the solution to that is, to keep people sort of um, reminded of that risk and to keep pushing people to get tested. Even when people think levels are low, it's all about testing people who have sort of cold or flu symptoms. And if you can test enough people while your levels are low, then even if you've missed some cases or some cases you didn't know where they were, by jumping on the when they're in the second or third or fourth person in that transmission chain, rather than in the 50th person, when you've got a real problem on your hands. So yeah, testing um, and, and access to testing, especially amongst vulnerable populations where, where this virus tends to circulate for ages undetected, um, access to testing and plentiful testing is key when you have low levels. That's one of the key ways of keeping it low. Always good to talk to you and uh, thanks for talking to me today. The pleasure, PJ. Thank you. That's Dr. Niall Conroy speaking to us from Queensland. The Opinion Live with PJ Coogan on Corks 96 FM. Coming up, you've heard of Miracle on 34th Street, one of those traditional Christmas movies that we'll all be watching over the next few weeks. Yeah, we will. Admitted you will, and admitted that there'll be something in your eye. Yes, there will. Go on, admit it, there will. Miracle on 34th Street. Well, we're going to try to help to create a miracle on Little Hanover Street Uh, and if we can play any small part in that we will between now and Christmas and I'll come to that 1857 is the number the text to WhatsApp 083 the email for the show opinion at 96fm.ie Twitter at opinionline96 and of course Facebook the Cork's 96fm Facebook page send us a message and mark it for the attention of the opinion line now I, I think I will read this out Terry but I'm not entirely sure whether I should because I personally find this insulting to every doctor 
and nurse and healthcare worker that I have spoken to since this pandemic began. But I'm going to read it anyway because this is some of the thinking that's out there. I just rang my GP to get an appointment. The secretary told me today they're just doing COVID patients. Anything else is tomorrow. Seriously, is this not discrimination? Also, the surgery is so busy. It's actually a shell. It's being renovated inside and out in the middle of a pandemic. Wake up, people. This is a hoax. Even in the hospitals, they were doing TikTok dances. So, so busy. Well, the first bit, we might get some... We might have some understanding of the first bit. But the last bit of that text... Wake up, people. This is a hoax. Even in the hospitals, they were doing TikTok dances. So, so busy. You, my friend, whoever you are, and I don't care who you are, you're part of the problem. 1850-715-996. Kate says, I wonder if they have a, a, the limit right at five kilometres. All the public places in Carrig Line were jammers over the weekend because a lot of people lived there, but there's not that much public space. If it was 10 kilometres, it could maybe spread it out. I, was, I read somewhere or I heard somewhere over the weekend because I did try to switch off from this for 48 hours at least, that they are looking at maybe giving us the 10K. Maybe giving us the 10K when they review it in a week or two. I don't know whether it'll happen or not. That's a response to Dr. Niall Conroy as well. The way they do it in Queensland, the resources he had to do what his job is, what he trained to do, what he qualified to do, infection control, outbreak management, that's what he does. And he has a team of 16 people around. He's just one unit. That's not happening here. Neither is compulsory quarantine, which needs to happen here. If we want to have people, if we want to have our lives back, we need compulsory quarantine. And by compulsory, they check on you. And it's an offence if you, if you break it. 1850-715-996. Now, I mentioned the miracle on 34th Street and we're hoping to create or helping, hoping to help to create a miracle on Little Hanover Street. And you'll know that that is where the Penny Dinners is. And their doors have unfortunately been closed only for takeaway for many, many months now. And normally, normally they would have a great day on Christmas Day. Normally they'd even go to a hotel on Christmas Day and feed our homeless, a Christmas dinner, a hot, piping Christmas dinner. Today, or this year rather, it doesn't look like that would be possible, but as ever, the great Katrina Toomey is trying to find a way around it. Hi Katrina, good morning to you. Morning PJ. You are trying, tell me first of all what usually happens on Christmas Day. Well, what usually happens on Christmas Day is the Riverlea Hotel, Rory and the the chefs over, all the staff, they all join in and they make Christmas dinner. So it's the full Christmas dinner with all the trimmings. And then they bring it over to us and we serve it at Penny Dinners. And that's been a kind of a tradition for years now and something that we look forward to. Our relationship with them is brilliant. About and, how um, many people would you serve, Katrina? Over 200 on Christmas Day. No, plus, then like we must add to that then the people that we deliver dinners to as well, you know, and the people that we give the makings of Christmas dinners to coming up to Christmas as well. So there's a lot, but at the premises, just over 200. And again, it's a fabulous morning. We usually have, um, you know, we have a, a concert. And at the concert, we've had people like Jack O'Rourke, Karen Underwood, Linda Cullen, you know, all of them coming down and entertaining and joining in with the High Hopes Choir. Yeah. And then we get the Barrick Street Brass and Reed Band, you know, coming yeah marching down the lane. You know, it's really very... It's fabulous. Everyone gives up their time and it's a, it's a brilliant event. 
Yeah, and we have Santa Claus who comes up from Kent Station and via the Polar Express, obviously. And uh, he, he comes up and, of course, there's not just one present for everyone, there's loads because it's Christmas Day. And if we can play, you know, our little part in making people feel wanted, mm. feel, you know, a little bit of happiness or just let them know that they're cared about on Christmas Day. We do that. And so we pull out all the stops. All the volunteers are in all dressed up and everybody sings and there's a little bit of dance and there's a little bit of everything that goes on inside and a bit of poetry and some of our guests sing as well. Fabulous singers and they'll come up and they'll sing. I know one year we had one guy come up and he sang Silent Night and none of us were any good after. <laughs> you know? There's always one of those. There's always one of those. Yeah, always. But, like, but, you know, and, but this year you can't yeah. do that. No, we can't because our premises is very small and we have to be realistic. Hopefully we're coming out of this on the 1st of December and, you know, if everybody sticks to the to, to the plan and does what they're supposed to do, there's every chance that we'll come out of it and things will open up again for Christmas. But our premise has been very small. It means that we have no place inside, no space for people to kind of, you know, do the social distancing. Even though every week Sanitize Ireland come in and... and they spray our place and they look after it and they keep it germ-free, etc., etc. And um, it, it's well sanitised, you know, and we do the steam up and, you know, every day, everything is done out to keep it to where it should be and to keep everybody safe. Yeah. And we have a limited number of volunteers because we can't bring in all the volunteers. So actually since the end of February, March, it's the same team of volunteers really with just you know, an add-on here and there because many of our volunteers can come in due to underlying conditions, etc. and so, stuff. So as so, always, Katrina, and as long as I know you, you see you see a problem as an opportunity for a solution. So what do you yes. want to do? What I want to do is, we did ask about City Hall, but that's a non-runner, so we're going to... Um, did they tell you why? Maybe safety okay. reasons, I'm not too sure. No, it was just that we asked the Lord Mayor, like, could that happen, you know, but apparently it can't. So we said, you know, keep it in Little Hanover Street. That's home to so many people that will be coming to us on Christmas Day anyway. And they're familiar with the streets. And now even if our premises can't be home to them, the street is home to them. They come up the street and they'll be looked after. And, and that's very important as well, that I suppose we maintain that. So what we want to do is if we could find a, a way of covering off the street and whatever. I know we've had two guys kind of get in touch with us and there to get back. And like, you know, we were talking about pods and we were talking about what way we could do it. And it's very difficult for me to kind of articulate it. But what I, I keep on saying, if anybody wants to come down, I'll walk you through what my plan is. I'll show you exactly what you, I want. You want to do in Little Hanover Street, for the people who use penny dinners, you want to do something along what the lines of Monty and the crew have done in Princess Street. You want outdoor dining for the Christmas dinner, but you want to make it safe and you want to make it warm. Exactly. And I do not want anybody standing up eating their dinner on a windowsill or whatever, like what they do at the minute. That's heartbreaking for us, you know, mm. but we still have the interaction. We, we keep that up. And if we notice anything, you know, we'll, we'll step in and help out yeah. and offer something because I suppose we're, we're good that way at picking up on things and picking up on people's, um, you know, when they're struggling, we, yeah. we might pick up something. And 
there's some days that you just say, if I give this person just an extra little thing, this could just make his or hers day, you know. Yeah. So we have to bear all of that in mind. But I think they all know that we're trying very hard for to make Christmas Day special yeah. for everyone because they know we're heartbroken. All the volunteers are heartbroken and, and don't want to see that on Christmas Day. So, so let's look at the things that you would need, Katrina. Obviously, you'd need to worry about covering the street yeah. for, the, for, yeah. for the day, whether it's an awning okay. or whether a temporary shelter. But you're also going to need chairs and tables. Yeah. yeah. And, and we're, going to need, um, we're going to need heaters. Yeah. We don't want them to be cold. No. Well, there must be blow heaters lying around that surely there'll be places that won't be open on Christmas Day if you could get a couple uh, of blow heaters and put, put them uh, put them at the ends of the street. Like, we, we don't have any of those things and that's why we've just yeah. asked. We also don't have the expertise. Infrared but heaters, think, patio heaters, just something to yeah. warm the place up. Yeah. yeah, like even over there, like, you know, at the side of Costigan's, you know, people are sitting out there and, you know, there's, you can see the laughter there. People are glad to be able to, well, not now, obviously, but when it was open, like, it was just great to see that kind of an atmosphere too. Yeah. And people kind of staying in touch with each other. And and we need our people to know that we're going to pull out. Okay. How, many, now it's fair, how many people do you want to be able to see in one sitting? See, this is what I'll probably have to take a bit of advice on mm. because you know me, I'll just say the whole lot of them. <laughs> 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 and I, I get killed oh, and that won't work. <laughs> no, I know you would. I know you would. So first of all yeah. you need first of all you need the advice of someone who is an expert in the regulations. Exactly. And I, I, like, I don't want four and six people sitting at a time, another standing and waiting in the back room no. to sit, you know, under. You want the maximum number to, that, that you have, and then you want to be able to. You then, then want to be able to cover the place, to warm the yeah. place, to get the seats. So basically, you're calling Katrina on a bit of community involvement from the people who would know how to do this to, 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 to bowl in and give yeah. us a Christmas day for the penny dinners. Yeah, like we had a fabulous GAA club get in touch to the day with us. I mean, he said, I'd build them if I have to. <laughs> what are they? <laughs> you know, yeah. it was just like people want to do want to do it. We can't do it. And I tell you what, why, PJ, we're so busy at the minute. We're really worn out, you know, from early morning until late at night. And our night riders are out in the streets every night again, checking and making sure they're very experienced at what they do. And we keep everybody safe. They don't, you know, have to kind of come along. You know, it's the food is brought to them and it's delivered in a very safe fashion. The lads bring it on the bikes and they give it to the lads and quick few words, are you all right? And off they go, you know. And if anybody's not all right, then the lads will call me. We're behind in the van and the lads will call me and they'll just say, you might want to have a, a word here. And it's done, you know, to... Pr- provide kind of safety for those that are out there rough sleeping themselves because they have no place to wash themselves, you know. They can't be doing the hand washing thing all the time, so obviously it's baby wipes. But again, for them being out there, it's a worry that they don't have the same facilities that we're all supposed to be able to use now during this pandemic, like which would be obviously toilets, um, hand washing and yeah. place where they can wash themselves even. Well, well I, I think one group of people... That would, their heads. Yeah. One place you might be able to get some help, uh, Tom is uh, a former soldier, and he believes that if you place a call to Collins's barracks that they'll roll out everything they can for you. I think they will as well, yeah. because, you know, we have um, 
a very good tradition with, um, you know, connection with um, Collins's barracks. And when we were renovating, when the Brennans were in above, the soldiers just came on board and they were collecting meals for us, bringing them down from hotels and restaurants so that we could feed them in the warehouse. Okay. We, we had a loan of so I'm I'm quite sure and not alone that they'd have the expertise and the know how to do it as okay. well. Well here's what we're gonna do, right? And I'm gonna get slaughtered for this now because I haven't said this to the team. If anybody wants to come to us to try to help you to do this, they can come through this program. Oh, All no, right. Okay. Because I, I want to do this for you. You're a dear friend and I want to do it for you. All right? So I want this to happen. I want this to happen. Yeah. And I, I think we will have it, like, you know, the, the miracle. It has to happen. Nobody likes to see anybody hurt or in, um, at any time of the year. Like, but on Christmas Day, for goodness sake, we're, you know, and short of being able to take people home, what can we do? Like, you know, so we have to leave no stone unturned. We have to go there for it. And I think it will happen probably. Mm-hmm. Well, it's so eight quickly. weeks Friday. So... Yeah. Ideally, you spend the month of November getting stuff together. And then yep. you spend from the 1st of December putting it all in place and getting a plan. So let's see if eight weeks Friday we can make this happen. Oh, I think, you know, I think it will. I think it will happen. And, I, you know, I can even visualize it and I can even visualize what it will mean to the people that we're helping because... You know, sometimes they feel forgotten. There's people in homes on their own, they're lonely, and their only interaction in the day is just popping down to us and to have a few words, or yeah. even some of them just pass up the lane to get a salute, you know, or to act for somebody to just have that bit of interaction with them. Straight and away, I, I, people I, are ringing up saying, well, is there any kind of presence we can give people that will be thoughtful and practical? Do you know, a practical present for any man or any woman is probably a jumper. Yeah. Do you know, it's something warm. And the same for children, do you know, things that are warm. Like we, we have, we're out every night now and every night we have to give out hats and gloves and socks and sleeping mm-hmm. bags. We're launching, well, Elaine Keller, she's Olivia's sister, is launching a pop-up tent appeal with sleeping bags and those, you know, those ground kind of yoga mats. Yeah things that you put on the ground because there's no point in giving a person a tent with pigs because our fields are waterlogged. What's the point? Yes. You can't put them in there. Could, so the pop-up ones would be more yeah. um, practical. Katrina, how many people are you dealing with on a daily, weekly basis? And particularly, how many are your are your night workers meeting? At, at the minute, the night workers, when they're out there, there's not a lot out there because a lot of them are put up there in B&Bs and they're in hostels and places like that. So the, the numbers that we would come across like would be about 35. That's Much enough. lower than what it was the first time, 35. That's enough. 40, you know, so it's much lower than it was. And that's a good thing as well. It's a great thing like, to, to, for that to, to be happening. So I think Cork City Council have them put up. And um, Simon are taking in, uh, you know, a few extra below. And I know Simon are full, Vincent and Paul are full, but there are people put up in the, the hotels and in the B&Bs and hostels, and that's, that's good to see. Now, we do take dinners to some of them, obviously, because in some of the places there are no cooking facilities at all. Yeah. And, like, some people come from 
the B&Bs and they'll collect dinners for the other people that are in the B&Bs as well. So coming to penny dinners every day, our numbers have hugely increased. Yeah. And it's just non-stop. And, um, but like, we have fabulous chefs inside, you know, and um, when when we came out of the last lockdown, one of our chefs was going back to work and we were, oh my God, we were sick. And, uh, but... He's, he, it didn't happen, you know, yeah. so he was only one day and back yeah. out again, so we have him back. And he's he's just absolutely amazing. But, like, we have to make up about 500 dinners every day. Wow. Kieran McCarthy, Councillor Kieran McCarthy has been on, Katrina, recommending, and I'm sure this is someone that you know well, but I'm, I'd say Kieran will help you to set it up if you don't. The Council's Director of Operations would be able to advise you on the legal mechanisms of closing the street and isolating the street for the day. Uh, he has been working with Princess Street, Strader, Princess Street traders to, to operate their, their open-air dining thing. So, so hopefully there's some help for you to be got through City Hall. Uh, now, a listener is asking if we're at level three for Christmas, would they be restricted to 15 at a time? That's a hurdle you may have to jump as well. But what we try to... That's, that's- you that know? is a hurdle, but if, if anybody is familiar with the layout of penny dinners, a few other tiny streets, that won't be used on Christmas Day by anybody. Yeah, yeah. Do you know, we, we, we have to get over it, you know. This is a mountain, we'll climb it and we'll get over it. Yeah. And what we'll have done is probably, you know, not saved Christmas for people, but we've set them up for to come into a new year knowing that they're still cared about, if yeah. that makes any sense to you at all. No, but does. that's what we need to be, that's what we need to be, you know, giving out there. Yeah. You know, like at the minute, the Gardaí, you know, are still delivering hampers for us and they're doing a fantastic job. Yeah. Without this extra help, we wouldn't be able to do it. The Cork City Missing Person Search and Recovery, they're doing it. We have the lads making up the hampers and just piling them out and preparing ourselves for Christmas. Because yeah. you see, yeah, you know, going back a couple of years, like you, my, people might just give you a call out for a dig out at Christmas or a dig out at Easter or maybe communion time or something like that. But we have people now constantly looking for them because they're going through an awful rough time. We have people coming down to us who are so scared of being homeless now because they're out of work and can't afford to pay their mortgages or pay their rents. Mm. So there's a culmination, like there's there's a huge amount of things happening to people. Some kind of the same but some are so so different it could be an illness somebody's in the hospital yeah it could be somebody now with COVID like and they're isolating and then the rest of the family are scared of their lives to go shopping because they have to quarantine as well there's a million and one things going on right now at the minute and we, we we get them all but luckily enough we're practical and I suppose that's one thing we can say about our volunteers very very practical do the job get in get out and that's it It's starting to come in um, Katrina messages coming into us on WhatsApp I've been a catering manager and chef for over 20 years I've worked on the largest building sites in Ireland if penny dinners need my help you can give them my number we'll we'll make this happen Katrina we'll make it happen we will and again like on Christmas day um, and I know a lot of people will want to volunteer with us on Christmas Day, but we keep that mainly to our own volunteers. And I tell you why. One Christmas, and I, I, I always, it's the one thing that comes up in my head when somebody asks, can they come in for Christmas Day? One Christmas, there was um, about a 21, 22-year-old inside with us, and um, he was serving, and he went out, and um, there was a member of his family out there. And the member of his family went out without eating his dinner, didn't know what to do. And he went into the kitchen 
crying, didn't know what to do. And it was a very, very hard moment. But at the end of the day, I had to go after the man like and bring him back and assure him that mm. his nephew wouldn't tell anybody and stuff like that, you know. But he didn't have a nice Christmas day, you know. And it's, I'm always conscious that, that something like that could happen again. Yeah. So we keep our volunteers to the team okay. that they know and a few extra people that come in at Christmas time and they all know about okay. them as well. Well, look, Katrina, so, here we go. It's eight weeks on Friday. It's Christmas Day. Yeah. And here's hoping. And I don't think we hope. We know. We'll make this happen. We, if we can do anything for you, if anyone wants to contact us to able do anything for you, to see if we can make this happen. Yeah. All right. Um, Caller remembers your dad in the army cooking for the penny dinners years ago. You're following in yeah. his footsteps. Um, Absolutely. And that's why the army would be really special. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? And all of this as well, like, right. you know, so, yeah. Let's see if we can make it happen. And if you need anything, you know where we are, Katrina. If you need I anything. I do. And look, thanks for doing this for us because, as I said, I have the plans up in my head and we're, and another thing, and we're trying to get them out there. But when we start work, we don't stop until late at night and then we're sitting another day gone and we haven't done anything and we really want to, to know that we're safe for okay. Christmas to roll out the service for everybody and, and to make them and to have Santa Claus okay. come All as right. well. Alright Katrina, listen, great to talk to you. There's a lot of work to be done, a lot of time in which to try to do it but we'll help yeah. in every way we can. Alright? Thanks so much. That means the world to us. Cheers. Thank you. That's Katrina Toomey at Cork Penny Dinners. Here's what they want to do. The miracle on Little Hanover Street. They can't bring people into the centre for Penny Dinners Christmas dinner. They want to try and do it outside. They want to do it safely. They want to do it within whatever restrictions we will have at the time. They want to do it in a warm and comfortable way. They're looking for volunteers. They're looking for people to help, be it expertise, whatever. Be some kind of help in putting this. It will be a huge event for the Penny Dinners on Cork Christmas Day. Can anybody help with it? If you want to email me or email the show, it's opinion at 96fm.ie and put penny dinners in the subject line. And you can text to WhatsApp any other of your suggestions as well. Try and get the army involved, and Katrina might do that herself. Try and get some engineering expertise involved. What can they do? What can't they do? And we'll try to make it happen. The miracle on Little Hanover Street. 1850-715-996. Question number 10. Finish this movie titled Fear and Loathing. In Las Vegas. Laura, what's your full name? Laura Kennedy. And you're from? Glenville. You've won 2,000. No your- That's how you do it. Well, I actually can't believe Laura. it. Hello. Hello. Your, your mummy has just won loads of money. Loads of money. What do you want? A daddy. Another winner. There you go. 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 The two grand minute. Listen to play. At 7.40 and 8.40 every day. Casey and Ross in the morning. On Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083 396 9696. On Cork's 96FM. Yeah, we'll try and make that a little project for ourselves and work with Katrina as closely as we can over the next eight and a bit weeks to try to make it happen uh, at Little Hanover Street on Christmas Day. Uh, loads of people already. Uh, coming in with suggestions like Robert Stevens of Stevens Display Solutions will help in any way he can. Rosemary will help with knitting, uh, baby cardigans and stuff just for 
little gifts, uh, Lisa Russell. By the way, oh yeah, essential services, the list of what is and what isn't continues. Lisa says, um, we spoke to, to Lisa from the Chiropathy Centre in Cook Street. We spoke to her on the, on the show before. Chiropathy is an essential service. They are open and it's important to give up your chiropathy plan. 1850-715-996. So that operation, Miracle on Little Hanover Street, is up and running. Let's see if we can make it work. 1850-715-996. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I read out an email from a woman who had been raped. Uh, you might remember it. And we spoke to Mary Crilly from the Sexual Violence Centre in response to that. It was an email, effectively, which said, don't let them take your life. Don't let them win. The rapist she was referring to. And Mary was uh, most encouraged and happy to to hear that email coming from someone. It prompted another email. And before I read this, just to let you know, it's a tiny bit distressing. But it did prompt this email, which I'm going to read. Dear PJ, I was just listening to the letter you read out from that girl who was abused. I commend her. She's right. I also know exactly what she's been through. My father was molesting me from a very young age, as far back as I can remember. I grew up very afraid of my father. I had to be very, very careful around him. I wore clothes that were too big for me, so I'd be covered at all times. I stayed awake most nights in case he came into my room. I had no voice. I had no friends. I had no mother to turn to. My mother was very dismissive. My word meant nothing. I was nothing. I sat in school every day just looking at the clock. I had no one to talk to in school and no one to talk to at home. My self-esteem was non-existent. What he did over the years consumed my every thought and defined how I felt about myself. I felt disgusting. I constantly told myself I was disgusting, that everything about me was disgusting. I would starve myself. I would mock myself. I had no feelings for me. It had a dramatic effect on how I saw people in general. My views and opinions of others was, and still is, warped. My social skills are and were okay. I eventually plucked up the courage 20 years later to walk into a Garda station. It went to court. It was one of the hardest things I ever had to do, but I did it. I ignored the comments made to me in the courtroom that day. Why? Because I'd waited a very, very long time for this day. I even watched my family tell the court that they had no recollection of ever being told by me what was going on. He was convicted and given a fine. I was proud of myself for getting him into that courtroom. It wasn't about what would happen to him. It was about getting him in the door of the court. It was about me standing up for me because nobody else was going to do it but me. If by chance it had gone the other way, I already had it in my head that I was heading for the bridge. But looking back on it now, I can see I was just in absolute turmoil. The Gardaí were absolutely fantastic. And I want people to know, do not be afraid of going to the Garda station. They treated me with the utmost respect and with such care and kindness. And I'm very grateful to them. I'm getting on with things. 
I find it hard to show love to my children, but I make myself do it. I make myself hug them, and I make myself tell them that I love them and show them that I love them. I know I love them, but it doesn't come naturally to me, if you can understand that. I still find it very hard to trust people. I have no contact with my family. I have my husband and my children, and that is all that matters to me now. Thank you for reading this email. We've had that email uh, passed it on to Eve Farrelly, who's the Executive Director of the Carey Foundation. Quite a profound communication, Eve. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Wow, it's just so powerful to hear that, isn't it? I mean, I have to absolutely commend that lady. I think, you know, the courage it took, I I can only imagine that it would have taken to press the send button to that email was unreal, you know. Um, But it provides such a huge opportunity for everybody else. And I'm so thankful to her for doing that because her doing that allows us to now have a conversation about it. And by us being able to have a conversation about it, some more listeners who are listening to us might start having a conversation in their homes. And that's really, really important, PJ. You know, um, sexual abuse thrives in silence. And Carrie's message has always been, what will happen if we end that silence? And we start talking about it. And not start talking about it when it's happening in our homes, but talk about it when it's not happening in our homes. That's just as important. Talking with our children in age-appropriate language, um, having it as a communication in the house is really, really important. Uh, and And she's facilitating that today, and I really commend her for that. Well done. No matter how hard it is for her, and she she explains that that it is. I think the first part of that email that really uh, got to me was she couldn't talk to her mom. Yeah. Her, her mother dismissed things. She sat in school just looking at the clock. No one to talk to in school. No one yeah. to talk to at home. That loneliness, that isolation. You can't imagine what that must be like. No, you can't. And when, often when people think of sexual abuse, they think of the act of it, when it is happening. But actually, for children who are being sexually abused, they're high on alert all the time. When it's happening, when it's not happening. It's constantly there. The threat of it is either there or the actual event of it is there. So there is no break. There's no time out. There's no relief. It's constantly your your system and your 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 self protection mechanisms are constantly going full blast. And you know, she mentioned there how she used to wear clothes that were too big for her. Her her capacity and her ability to self protect would have been going full blast all the time. Uh, and that's that's exhausting. It's exhausting to have your system on that high alert. And, and the, the fact time, that she you know? she hated herself for what he was doing to her. Now, forgive me, Eve, I find that a very hard emotion to understand. Can you help? Well, I suppose, you know, uh, uh, I think an an awful lot of, of people who are sexually abused feel a lot of shame. But it's not their shame. It's shame that's been put on them by the abuser. And children, own, children are really, um, really good at owning stuff that doesn't belong to them. Uh, and we do it as adults as well, you know. And she would have had an awful lot of um, 
hatred and disgust and shame that, that really her her perpetrator owned put onto her by him and and she absorbed it, you know. And um that's one of the, the most tragic things about sexual abuse. The impact of that yeah. can be so life uh life lasting, you know. Um and it really can change the fingerprint of who you are um when you're left so isolated and alone like yeah. that. Um, and and her ability to talk to the guards twenty years later. I mean, I might just talk about that for a minute, PJ, yes, because you know I really do. You know, the, the guards who deal with this every day, my hat goes absolutely off to them. And I say to guards often, you know, that in your career you'll come in contact with thousands of victims, thousands of victims, and those victims come in contact with you. And the narrative of that experience will last with them for the rest of their life. And this uh, listener is a really good example of that. And the narrative is important, PJ, because if the narrative is, if I'd have known now, if I'd have known then what I know now, I would never have done it. Then the people who are listening to that narrative might choose not to speak up. But if the narrative is, I was really glad I did it. I was treated with respect. I was treated with care. Then the person who hasn't spoken out yet and is listening to that might be encouraged to speak out. Yes. And speaking out protects children today. Yes. So it is a huge spoke in the wheel of child protection, our ability to tell our story in a safe way. Talking up so the, the, courage, the word courage, I don't, I, I don't think it actually covers the sheer gumption to take yeah. such a personal story into the public office of a guard station and ask to talk to someone. Yeah, yeah. And the guards, the guards have come on so far in their um, in their response to that, and in their understanding of of what the needs of victims are. Because and, and what guards are really, really, my experience, guards are really, really good at being able to hear the feedback of that and respond to it. So they've set up specialist units. They have special interview suites. They have specially trained guards. I mean, they have put resource into making sure that when you walk through the guard station door, that you're not re-traumatised by doing that. And that's really important. The court process is another thing she goes into. And a lot of people might say he was convicted and given a fine. They might see, what was the point? Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, the criminal justice system is a real accountability tool for people who perpetrate against children. And uh, it's important that we utilise it uh, and we use it. You know, for for him to have to go through the shame of going to court every day and sitting in the dock and having to hear his behaviour read out for other people to hear um, is what um, gave her a bit of cathartic, I suppose, a cathartic experience. And it's different for everybody, you know. But I think I think utilising the criminal justice system to bring accountability to offenders not only teaches the offenders that this is not okay, but the offenders who are around them might think twice because they don't want to experience that. So there can be a knock-on effect to it. The um, other thing it seemed, it seems that her other family, if you like, the rest of her family, her mom and she doesn't say much about siblings, I'm assuming they were there, that they backed her dad. 
And, you know, we uh, one of the services that we provide and carry is a court complement service where we support children who are giving witness testimony when they, in criminal trials and cases like this. And we find it's, a lot of times there can be a real difference between cases that go to court where the the offender and the victim reside on the same family tree versus when the offender and the victim are not related to each other. It can be quite easy when the, the offender is not related for the family to gather around and support that, that external enemy over there that's not part of us. But when the offender, the alleged offender, is within the family tree, it becomes so much more complex because of the relationships that already exist. And it can be really, really difficult for families, PJ, actually, when um, it's an interfamilial case. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, it's all the more complex because of the relationships that are there. And when I heard her speak about that, when you read that out, that's not an uncommon thing that we would see. Yeah. You, that. Is something I wanted to get onto with you. But people have a fear, I think, uh, that if they go to the Garda station or if they call something like your helpline, which I'll give out there in a moment, that they they have to get over a hurdle that actually I'm the first person this ever ha- happened to and no one's going to understand and no one's going to care. That's a massive hurdle for some people. They They think that their case is not significant. Uh, yeah, oh, well, listen, I mean, what I would say to that is, you know, that is absolutely not the case. Every single person is significant and their experiences are significant. And, you know, it's like a jigsaw, you know. Sometimes uh, sexual abuse can act a bit like a jigsaw where one victim holds one piece, but they're not aware of all the other pieces that are there. But the perpetrator knows of all those other pieces. And maybe the guards know of some of those other pieces. And so what you might think might be insignificant could actually be a really important piece of the jigsaw. Um that you just don't know exists. And so uh, what I would say all the time is, tell, tell safely Mm -hmm. uh, and you will be heard. And if you you struggle with that, give us a ring on our helpline and you can have a confidential conversation about that, um, about how you would feel about doing something like that, you know, but I would say tell and tell safely. That's that's open Monday to Friday, half nine to half five, eighteen ninety, ninety two, forty five, sixty seven, and I'll give it out again at the end. But just something that occurred to me while I was waiting to talk to you, Eve, is I guess now that we're gone into another uh, set of lockdown restrictions and people yeah. have been asked to stay at home and not go anywhere, does that raise concerns for somebody like you who deals with with victims? It raises, raises huge concerns. And we had huge concerns in the last lockdown when the, the schools closed. And I'll tell you why. You know, for, for, for a lot of children, um, you know, they got segregated from their mandated people. Uh, referrals into Tusla reduced. We, um, we saw children who were uh, spending more time online. We saw perpetrators who were spending more time online. Uh, increases in uh, online crimes were being reported nationally and internationally. I feel really myself that uh, the impact of the last lockdown with regards to sexual abuse, especially online with children, we have not seen that yet. That's coming down the road. Um, I 
I was really encouraged by the fact that in this lockdown, the schools remain open because for schools, for a lot of children, it's the only time they eat. It's the only time they're safe. They're still linked in with their mandated people. Um, they still get a break from their homes. Their home is somewhere they need a break from. Uh, and, you know, school is so much more than algebra and Irish poems for children. So, um, you know, we're, we're, having, we're going to have a problem come down the road from the last lockdown. And I would, um, I would be very uh, upset and I would be very concerned mm. if any future lockdowns included children being solely locked down into their home. Okay, well, here's hoping they can keep the, the schools open if, if for that reason alone. Once again, to give out the number, Eve, uh, the CARI helpline, C-A-R-I, is 1890-92-45-67 and it's open Monday to Friday, 9.30 to 5.30. Eve, thank you for your time today. Thank you so much, BJ. Thank you. That's Eve Farrelly, Executive Director of the Carry Foundation. Actually, we must put together the list that we did the last time during lockdown from people who who need help because the community hall, community call, they actually never stopped doing it. It's there. We must give those numbers out. And a few numbers to do with domestic violence and that kind of thing. And just help for those, the, lon- the, lon- the lonely, I suppose, loneliness of it all. And we put that one into it too. All right, and I think it was Michael Gearn on at me last week talking about a helpline that they have at Chakwira as well for people who are trying to struggle with addiction or the consequences of addiction during the course of a lockdown. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. Mary was on about the confusion with regard to isolating for 14 days. I'll read that in a little while because it's it's uh, it's interesting and it's one that will come up in many a household, I tell you, uh, over the, the weeks and months ahead because it's to do with school and, and close contacts and just what level of quarantining you have to do and what level of isolation you have to do from close contacts in school. I'll get back to that one from Mary. Also, I think looking at the emails, I haven't got it out yet, but I think we've got a response from City Hall with regard to traffic wardens and I think it's bad news for anyone who thought they can park free for the next couple of months or a few weeks, six weeks I, I, I don't think you can, it's not looking good it's not looking good and if we can make contact with Lorna Bogue we will, Lorna Bogue has quit the Green Party, Councillor Lorna Bogue has quit the Green Party, now she was at odds with them anyway over going into government and she made that very clear here on the programme she was very much at odds with the Green Party over going into government with Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael and we've spoken about that at length but uh, the final straw for Lorna Bogue has been the bill passed over the weekend and written into law by the President over the weekend to do with the mother of baby homes and that bill I'll be honest with you I mean as many people know I've been involved in that story and I've been following that story since before many of the people who claim great kudos for it. I was following it years before them. And uh, it's a terrible thing that they've done. It's a terrible, terrible piece of legislation. It's a decrepit piece of legislation that needs to be challenged and needs to be turned on its ass. Whether the president had any choice but to sign it is a constitutional matter. The constitutional experts say that he didn't have any choice but to sign it, and that's as may be, but it doesn't make the bill any less repulsive, and what it does make it any less repulsive 
And Lorna Bogue has quit the Greens over that this morning. We'll hopefully talk to her at some stage. 1850-715-996. But do you remember back in the first lockdown, 150 million years ago? Well, March. All our flights were being cancelled. All our holidays were being cancelled. And we were being told, you'll get a voucher. You'll get your money back. You'll be sorted. You can move. You can this, you can that, you can this, you can that. You can move around. It's not been as simple as that at all. Olive, how long are you trying to get money back now from Ryanair? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Thanks for taking my call again. Um, Last May, I received my email, like many, many others, saying, terribly sorry, due to COVID, flight is cancelled. If you wish to rebook, please do, or click on the link for refund. And that's where the fun began. (laughs) (laughs) Now, you wanted the refund. I was adamant on the refund and when I spoke to you before, I explained my daughter took off to teach (laughs) in Abu Dhabi, where she is now. Mm. And our plan long term was that uh, all going well, next year we would go and visit her. So I was never going to avail of a Ryanair flight in the immediate future. So I wanted my money. now, since then, I have received several emails, dear Olive. Um, we've noticed you haven't used your voucher. <laughs> so I've gone in several times, and when you go to reapply for the refund, it says you're under application and we're backed up and all of that. I spoke to you some months ago because you had an expert on about explaining consumer rights. Mm-hmm. And they said, yes, they were backed up. You would get your refund. But fair is fair, PJ. I mean, we're facing into Christmas. I'm looking out at the lashing rain. Um, due to COVID, my business is closed again. Oh. I need the money. Yeah. You know, why Why can't? They've now pulled out of Cork. And I'm feeling, has my money gone into the blue yonder? And are there more? I'm quite sure there are more people like myself. Yeah. What we heard at the time, if I remember correctly, was that we, um, if you kept refusing to take the voucher, you would eventually be refunded, but you'd Mm. go way, way down the Mm. list. Mm. Mm. But how can they warrant from last May? I mean, if there's anybody working on refunds at all on a daily basis, which I'm sure they don't, how can they warrant like a six month delay in in paying your money back? Mm. You how know, much, how much money flight, is involved, Olive? About 400. It's enough. It's enough. It's better off in your pocket than it is I in mean, theirs. I, I, I had flights booked. I also had Aer Lingus flights. Now, I did opt for a voucher for Aer Lingus because I said, look, if we're doing a long haul, we probably have to fly Cork London and I do that Aer Lingus. Yeah. And the way Aer Lingus dealt was, I, st- I actually didn't get a voucher. It's a little bit complicated, but I'm assuming it will be all right. I'm after getting confirmation with a PIN number, and I assume that when I go to book a flight, I'm only assuming it's okay. <laughs> oh, I, I think that's how number. that works. Yeah, because yeah, I, I yeah. remember getting a. I remember my our, our, our daughter gave yeah. us a present of uh, of, of an Irvingus voucher, myself and the missus, uh, two Christmases ago, and that's how you did it when you were booking mm. the flights. You, you get put your in PIN the PIN number, number and yeah. it, it, it gives you the discount there. So yeah. So if I ever see a flight again, I have a PIN number for Erlingus, but it's 
Ryanair, that has me miffed. I do not want a Ryanair voucher. I am most adamant that I will never get on a Ryanair flight again. You have absent, um, You have an absolute right to that money. I do, I do. And why can't they just refund me? I just do not know. And I'm sure I'm not alone, PJ. That's what I'd like to know. Are mm. other people around? Or uh, has, has anybody got a refund? Yeah, well, That's what I'd like to know. We've had a message on WhatsApp now. Someone who's finally had some success. Same issue with Ryanair. Opted for the cash refund. Still got a voucher. Had to try to contact them several times. Only last yeah. week I went back through my emails, clicked mm. on cash refund and filled out the form. And I had I the did. money back in five days. Wow. Because when I tried to do that about a month ago, it wouldn't let me complete the process because it said an application had already been submitted. So I felt, well, okay, my application is still there. Um, That's interesting. That's interesting. That's a little bit of hope. Mm. Yeah, because you do have, and I remember the consumer rights people at the time were adamant. You do not have, seeing as the voucher was cancelled or the flight was cancelled, you Mm. do not have to accept a voucher. You don't? No, no. I mean, I remember when I heard him, he, he spoke um, the last time I was on with you and I was relieved and I said, Grand, you know, he did say you might be waiting until Christmas and I think that was their own dog. I think that was own <laughs> curry, yeah, yeah. My, <laughs> my daughter and myself said this call, my daughter and myself were due to go to France. We got a refund, but they persisted in pushing the vouchers first. The voucher, the voucher, the voucher. They want you to take the voucher because then... Yeah then they don't have to give you the money back. And here's the thing, I, my own flights in, in the summertime, I had to cancel my trip. It was the right thing to do, I guess, at the end. And and we're down um, 1,200 quid because of that. Mm. But but like at, at the same time, had they offered me an opportunity to take a voucher, I would have grabbed it with both hands because I will travel again. But in yeah. your case, yeah, yeah, you don't want to use those flights. You want yeah. You need the money for other things. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, you know, people travelling, it'll be a long time before people will be travelling and, and, and that's fine. So why can't I get my money now? Yeah, it's a fair you know? point. It's a fair you point. Know? Maybe yeah. try that solution. Go back and make the application again. We did mm-hmm. contact Ryanair, but sure, mm. I, I, I'm, I'm sure you're not surprised when I tell you they didn't respond. No, they don't answer anything or they don't reply to emails. They're just complete. You're just, that's why I phone you because at least it's, it's airing it and, you know, other people will, you know, respond. Well, and are well they, they are. There's the other people ringing up saying, oh, crikey, I'm not the only one left out here. No. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah. See where it goes. It's, Try that application yeah. process. If you have any further luck with that, get back I'll to us. I'll let you know when I have the refund. Uh, just before I, while I have you, can sure. I just want to say one big shout out? Sure, sure, because sure. There are so many fantastic frontline people. I have an aunt. She's in Bishop's Court Residential. She's 95, has dementia, but a bigger problem is that she's blind. So oh. her isolation is beyond profound. Yeah. I want to say a big shout out to the activities coordinator. Her name is Mary Sheehan. She is a lifeline for my family because window visits, she can't see, she doesn't write, read, she can't read a card, a letter, she hasn't got the telephone or oh. the, the television. It's it's beyond cruel. 
But yeah. Mary is amazing, absolutely right. amazing. She goes way and beyond her job description, and honest to God, she should get an award. <laughs> well, there are loads, loads of those people around, and, and we, we wouldn't get through this without them. We wouldn't, we wouldn't. But Mary is fantastic. Okay. She will make a, a private call on her own phone, trying to keep in contact with our our wonderful Auntie Eileen. So, yeah. big shout out to them all in Bishop's Court because they're doing a fantastic job. You know, you know, you know now. You know, no, Lorna, I'd probably as a result of this be able to fill a morning with people wanting to do the same thing. But (laughs) (laughs) thanks for doing it anyway. I appreciate it. No problem giving the opportunity. Cheers. And if we find out any more, Olive, about Ryanair and about the refund, then certainly we can come come back to us on it. Uh, My daughter was, yeah, I saw that one. Here's what I wanted to do. Uh, I mentioned it at the top there. I have. I'm asking for a friend, I guess. There's a lot of confusion with isolating for 14 days. If a child goes into school and is told they're close contact with a child in the class and the child has to be tested, and if the test is negative, they can return to school if they're not showing symptoms of any kind. I get the child tested, it comes back negative, they can go back to school, and we can go back to work or school the next day. My question is, where is the 14-day isolation here? My thinking is, if you're getting tested, it's negative. And you still have to isolate for 14 days. Doesn't matter if it's for school or work, you have to stay at home, even if it's negative. Can you let everyone know what is the truth? Well, Mary, there is a table, and again, unfortunately, I don't have it to hand. There is a table that public health give out with about eight or nine categories on it. And each one is different, and of course it can move. So I will I'll do a bit of work on this later on, and I'll we'll come back to this tomorrow because it's gonna come up. Kids sent home to be tested and all that and isolate and close contact and all that. We, we may follow this up because the whole close contact thing is a bit complicated and who's supposed to isolate and who's supposed to quarantine and what is a bit complicated. So we'll do a bit of work on this over the course of the next few days and see if we can answer as many questions as possible. 96 Another thing about being in a married relationship. Yeah. Are you married to somebody who thinks that the fairies put diesel in the car? Oh, 100%. Yeah, yeah me yeah. too. Or, or the jobs she doesn't want to do are called man jobs. So, for example, getting rid of daddy long legs, that's a man's job. Or cleaning out the gutters, that's a man's job. If I try and tell her that the washing machine is a woman's job, oh, I'll have a washing machine at the side of my head. <laughs> Casey and Ross in the morning with no DC cars, Blackpool. Celebrating the arrival of the new Skoda Octavia. Book your test drive now at no DC.com. Exclusively Skoda in Cork City. Cork's 96 FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850 715 On Cork's 96 FM. She's taken a few minutes out of a busy day to take my call. Lorna Bogue, good morning to you. Hi, PJ. How are you? Good. I appreciate you taking the call at short notice. You have decided to finally tear up your membership card of the Green Party. Um, well, it's, it, I suppose it's not um, not not finally. Um, I suppose it's a bit weird for me now today because obviously my phone is exploding because um, it's gone public. Um, but um, I, I resigned on Thursday night. Um, so um, yeah, it was um, it was over. It was over the handling of the. Um, Modern baby homes, um, yeah. Bill. Um, I, I just couldn't um, stand over it. Um, and it, you know, I, I, I wasn't actually 
really expecting um, something like this to come up or something of this nature to be just so poorly handled um, and you know I, I I just I just I just couldn't you know I mean like you know you'd know yourself PJ I mean obviously the stuff that happens in the best for a mother and baby home is just beyond words um, and I've been in council meetings where we've been writing to various departments um, you know and sort of saying you know, we don't we don't know what's on that site we don't really know what happened there. Um, so, yeah, uh, you know, it just, uh, this, this whole thing came up and then um, I just sort of said to myself, look, I, I actually just can't do this anymore. I can't stand over this. Mm. Um, and, you know, that's not to say that, like, I, I don't I don't feel really angry and I, I don't really want to be throwing blame around the place because this issue is too important. And I suppose that's why I didn't really say anything yeah. um, publicly either, you know. Is it particularly upsetting that the minister involved uh, is a member of your own party? Um, it is upsetting, um, but I, I suppose there's, there's, there's various different lines of responsibility there. Um, and it's not just on the back of... Minister Roderick O'Gorman, I, I think he, I think he's doing his best. Like I think everyone is kind of doing their best, um, but ultimately, their best is not really good enough. And they have, in in some sense, kind of almost created this entire situation that has just really caused so much hurt to people, you know. And you're you're reading the stories, you're 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 seeing how things like this are affecting people. And you know, it's not just Minister O'Gorman. I mean, you know. The, the parties that we're in government with, Funafal and Fine Gael, like they they are they are really complicit um, in in this stuff being hidden away um, and you know just just kind of you know forgotten about and swept mm. under the carpet and you know and I, I it's it's because it's so horrifying that you know people's instinct I think is to turn away and try and pretend like that these things didn't happen. Um, and, you know, in, in some of the responses I'm seeing to campaigners now as well, you know, that same thing is coming out, mm. you know, sort of explaining to people like, you know, you don't know what you're talking about. This is actually really complex when the listening didn't happen in the first place. Yeah. You know, so it's really, you know, I just want people to know that, like, uh, you know, I'm listening to them. I hear them. I see them. Um, yeah. And you know, I, I and uh, and that, the same goes for the Cork Greens as well. By the way, who I'm still working with, um, but you know, it just seems like up at the very top of the party, um, they just didn't um, they they didn't listen to people. Um, and they didn't really treat this with yeah. the seriousness that it deserves. Tr- trying to explain to people over the weekend, as someone connected, say, to the Besbrook Commemorative Group, as I am. Why this is so bothering, so upsetting for, for for people is that trying to get the slightest bit of information about yourself out of a mother and baby home has traditionally been next to impossible. Trying to get your file, trying to get your mother's name, trying to get anything out of a mother and baby home has been damn near impossible unless you're surrounded by great search angels and wonderful people who will find it out for you. And here so many people have given testimony to this process and now that too is to be locked away. Yeah, yeah. And I suppose the basis for that being locked away is as far as I understand. Now again, I'm no expert, hmm. um, but as far as I understand, the basis of that is the 2004 legislation. Um, but again, this this is something I think now that we should be looking at um, and you know I, I suppose like it's you know in not engaging in the blame game and not 
turning this into a political football or anything like that. Like, I, I suppose, like, what I'd really like out of this is for, you know, Antishuk actually, you know, to recognise that the, the outrage and anger and upset that we're seeing right now, you know, what, what the people want is they want a reckoning. They want a reckoning with our past. And, you know, it, it sort of, it sort of, it sort of came, it sort of hit home, like, really over the last weekend for me as well, because, you know, obviously in Cork City Council, we've been doing lots of events, um, you know, celebrating the centenary of um, Lord Mayor Terence McSweeney. Um, you know, he did this really brave act of, um, you know, dying on hunger strike yeah. um, for a better Ireland. But, like, if you look at the best for a mother and baby home and the work that Conal O'Farta has done um, in terms of his journalism on it, yeah. like, 20% of the babies there died of a condition called marasmus, which was malnutrition and starvation. And, you know, it's it's just, you know, while we're celebrating this heroic act of like a hunger strike, at the same time, the government is trying to hide the fact that the state that was created in that act of bravery was one that starved babies and children. Um, And that to me was just, you know, I, you know, like that to me is just the, the inherent kind of problem here and actually I think that the state as a whole now actually has to take this moment and you know walk back a bit and listen to people um, and the people what people want they want a reckoning they want a reckoning with the past um, and we do need to look at all of this now um, mm. again I think um, in this moment all right Lorna, you were uncomfortable anyway about going into government anyway with Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael, and we talked about that at length here on the programme, but I think this has been for you the final straw. How do you feel? Um, I don't really know how I'm feeling today now. Um, I, I, was kind of, I was kind of relieved when I resigned, to be honest, because um, I, yeah, it's, it, it's just been kind of difficult being a critical voice um, in the party, and it's frustrating um, to, to not be listened to and not be taken seriously, um, especially when I'm bringing issues that affect my constituents um, up to my own party. So it's been frustrating. Um, but to be honest now, you know, I, I, think, I, I, think, I think that there's, there, there, there's serious issues in the governance of this country in general. Um, I don't really blame the Green Party too much because I just don't simply think that they were competent enough or prepared enough for what governance is mm. like the, the word government i think is a bit synonymous with the word crisis really like yeah. a government is just a constant crisis after crisis yeah. constantly reacting to crisis but a lot of the crises and this one in particular is one of the government's own making okay. um, and people need to be prepared for that and again and again i'm just seeing that people were not prepared um, and they're doing their best but ultimately you know, something has to change in general um, in how we approach politics because it's not the same as governance. I'll leave it there for now. Thank you very much. Uh, Lorna Bogue, formerly of the Green Party, she has tendered her councillor, Lorna Bogue, she'll be an independent now, I suspect, formerly of the Green Party, uh, tendered her resignation to the party over the weekend because of the Mother and Baby Homes Bill. 1850-715-996. Cork's 96FM has identified many advantages to wearing a face mask. Unexpected spot or pimple? No problem, you're covered. Lip sync to your favourite songs without anyone ever noticing. And say goodbye to chapped lips caused by cold winter winds. 
However, the main reason for wearing a face mask is the most vital to help stop the spread of coronavirus. Wear a mask. Wash your hands. Social distance. We're masking for a friend. Thank you. From Cork's 96... This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96FM. Right, just briefly, I had mentioned this earlier this morning because a friend of mine brought it up to me on the phone over the weekend about having seen traffic wardens in the city on Friday and remembering, as I did, that in the first lockdown there were no traffic wardens. There was free parking for all of us for the bones of the six weeks or so or seven weeks or so. I think from around the end of March till around the 7th or 8th of June, there was free parking for pretty much everybody because most of the people in town were essential workers. And Cork City Council has now confirmed a statement to 96FM this morning that traffic wardens are classed as essential workers, that they were classed as essential workers during the first lockdown and again are classed as essential workers during this lockdown. So they are going to be out there. They went out there in March. There was free parking out there in March and April and May. There was no wardens out there, but they were still classed as essential workers. But they weren't out there. This is the point. They were not there. There was no parking charges. There was no tickets given out during the first lockdown. There was a commitment given that there be no there would be free on street parking. This time, not so much. But Cork City Council can confirm that as part of our ongoing supports to the city. The facility whereby the first two hours of parking in Paul Street and North Main Street are free of charge will continue. But no free on-street parking during this lockdown, which there was the first time, because they have classed traffic wardens as essential workers. 1850-715-996. A woman called Zoe Hendrick uh, was voted the new Miss Cork recently. And she has revealed how she was the victim of racism as she grew up in the city. She took to Instagram talking about online bullies and online trolls. Uh, They followed an interview she did uh, in the Echo after her confirmation as Miss Cork. We said we'd have a a chat with her. Zoe, first of all, congratulations on, on the title and, and well done to you. Good morning to you. Thank you. Good morning. Thank you so much. Delighted to talk to you. Uh, 20, 20, is it 24 you are, a CIT student. Um, and, and of course, you're mixed race. You weren't expecting the response to the Echo article. What, what, what happened? Yeah, so kind of after winning Miss Cork, um, I got a quick interview kind of talking about yeah, living in Cork, my upbringing, and it's kind of something I wrote about on Instagram back in June where, if you remember, I spoke to you about it as well. Yes. My Instagram post post back then. And I was really proud of the article when I saw it came out. I was really proud of it. I was getting lovely messages off my friends and family being like well spoken and then there was just one night I was kind of sitting at home and the article came up on my Facebook page from the Echoes Facebook page and I decided to look at some of the comments and I was shocked I was hurt by some of them people were just being so cruel 
uh, and it was just hurtful as I was so proud of the article. It was something that I was like really excited to see it in public, but then to get this much hate about it was really hurtful. Because mm. now, now that you mentioned it, I do remember talking to you. You grew up. <laughs> uh, you you had views on the whole Black Lives Matters movement, yeah. movement, and I think we talked at the time about the fact that you would be afraid to go to the US now. Yes. Yeah. 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 And that was like, like slightly, slightly, sorry, brought up in the Echoes article and the comments then were just kind of saying, oh, because I've won Miss Cork now, that's going to be the card I'm going to play to win Miss Ireland. They're saying I'm playing a race card and only doing this all for show, and that was really hurtful because anyone that kind of knew me or followed me for a while on social media knew this was something I was speaking about before I ever won Miss Cork or applied for Miss Cork. So it was just kind of like, no, this is something I'm passionate about, and it's what I'm going to use the platform to speak about. Uh, yeah, do you come across a lot of Ness? I mean, being Miss Cork is you're even in the limited way that we do things these days. You still have mm-hmm. a lot of events to do. You still have a lot of places to go and. You know, in in your yeah. role, do, do do you fear what you might be facing? I I do and I don't. It's kind of like I need to kind of get in those comments to my face from growing up in like secondary school and primary school. So they're not never really shock. It's more seeing it for the first time is the shock. But after kind of talking to friends and family, uh, I've known now to kind of just keep the head held high and move on with it. Um, and really they should be looking at themselves and asking themselves why are they writing these comments to a 24 year old who's done something she's really proud of and finally has gotten off her bucket list but like saying that like with the events and stuff going to I'm not really afraid of like what's going to happen or someone's going to say something to me because I know I do have that support group around me and Mm. that if anything does get too much that I can go to them about anything Where do you think it comes from Zoe? I think it kind of comes from the unknown. Like, I was talking to my mom about it, like, a few weeks ago before I even saw the hate comments, because I was saying to her that I was uh, the first person of colour to win Miss Cork, and I was wondering why she was kind of saying people of colour have only really started coming to Ireland in the last few decades. Like, it's um, fairly new, if you want to say, say it, but that it's people weren't used to seeing it and with everything that's going on in America and like people kind of seeing us speak out about it, I think people are afraid we're going to stir the pot and cause drama, which isn't the case at all. We're just kind of speaking off about our experiences and trying to educate people that we're no different than you. We're just a bit darker. We have just a different skin colour. Um, and I do think a lot of it is just not being educated. Like when I was in primary school, there was only two people of colour in my class, me and another girl. And in secondary school, there was only two people again in my class, of colour myself, and another girl that was actually left, not due to bullying or anything, but just was moving and had to move school. So I was then the only person of colour. So it's kind of just people aren't, people aren't aware what is appropriate and what's not appropriate, and that's what I'm going to use in my platform to speak about. And I think I mentioned it last time, that if you are unaware, ask, rather than just presuming it's okay and it's not going to be hurtful. Yeah. Now, while you are Miss Cork, you've you've something else that that is um, very personal to you, and and that is a huge interest in Alzheimer's. Why why is that so important? Yeah, Alzheimer's is really uh, important to me just because um, I've lost 
two family members, my great granny and my granny, and both of them were incredible women. My great granny, I found her very said she could only ever count in my ear. She never was able to grasp the English counting, but uh, I loved her for that. She was hilarious. And then my nan was the classiest lady I've ever met. Uh, she was always done up to the nines and taught me to always expect to meet your worst enemy on a day out. You have to look your best. It was just both very inspirational women. And it was sad to see them almost lose themselves with Alzheimer's. Yeah. And it's obvious now that this is going to be something that's in my family. And I think nowadays Alzheimer's is a thing that's almost affected at least everyone. Someone knows someone that's had it, someone knows someone's family that had it. And I think it's such an awful disease, but I think the Alzheimer's charities that are out there are doing incredible work in supporting families. Like with my nan, we got great support in taking care of her and so on. And I just think it's a charity that doesn't get the recognition it needs. And I just kind of want to help them in any way I can to get their message out there. Okay. Well, well, well if, if, if you're as articulate in telling me about it uh, <laughs> and you take that into, in, into the the public arena to represent it, you'll you'll be doing a, a, a stunning job. You have a lovely, simple message in life, Zoe. Just be nice. Yeah, that's really the message I go about in life. Um, and anyone that knows me, I'm always kind of like, if there's no reason to be nasty, then just don't do it. Like, be nice. Just because someone's wearing something you wouldn't wear, there's no need to leave a nasty comment saying it's ugly. If that's your opinion, keep it to yourself. Uh, and like you said it before, that like if something's really getting at you, write it down and burn it. Um, because, like I said before, once you've posted something, it's there for everyone to see and it, you're not getting it back. Like, as my mom would say, growing up, like once the words are spoken, you can't take them back. So I think, and it's especially now with COVID and we're in level five, people's mental health is really struggling. Like, I know I've had some bad days where I felt like we were never getting to the other side of it and yeah. this is going to be my life for the next 10 years and it was just like, oh my God, this is going to be awful. But it was just like the support of my friends making me laugh, being on FaceTime with them. So I definitely think if people are noticing that yeah. someone's getting more distant or are getting quiet and they're not their like preppy selves, definitely just reach out to them and say, do you want to pop onto your FaceTime or something? Because just with everything going on, seeing nasty comments left about you and you're already kind of having a bad day because yeah. you're stuck inside... It's not nice, but definitely my message is just be nice. It doesn't cost anything. It doesn't take a lot of effort. It's a very simple thing to do. Do you ever get jealous of Alvin that he doesn't care about <laughs> lockdown, the dog? He just wants to go yeah. for a run. I'm very jealous of him now. Like I've been, kind of, He's been by my feet for most of the day now when I work at home and he's there just snoring away to himself. He goes out for his walks. He's yeah. Pretty content with it all, so I am quite jealous of them sometimes. You kind of wonder, don't you? And the dog looks up at you like, what, four walks today? God, no, no, no. <laughs> it's like, don't bring out the lead again. <laughs> no, brilliant. Yeah, you, you, you kind of would, would love their innocence for an hour, wouldn't you? you really yeah, would. just all right. pure, pure bliss of it, not knowing anything. No, yeah, I, I wish day. I wish you well. And if there's ever anything that I can do to help you promote the Alzheimer's side of your of your reign um, just call thank you alright you mind yourself I really appreciate it you too PJ cheers that's uh, that's Miss Cork Zoe Hendrick 1850 715 996 just on the Ryanair 
and Olive was telling us trying to get her money back since when? May? We had four flights booked for Portugal in the first week of April. The same story as that lady. I went onto a web chat at Ryanair and I had the money back in my account at the end of September. Took two weeks. If you log on to Ryanair, says this message, if you log on to Ryanair chat, they will change the voucher to a refund and money will be refunded in about five or six days. Very, very helpful. Good to know. I had holiday insurance for the year. It was up on the 23rd of October. They sent an email to renew or to cancel. I text back to cancel, only to be texted again and no reply. So they took the money for travel. Oh, God, they rolled it over. Uh, Travel insurance for another year when you didn't want it. Can you tell people this? That happens a lot. I use a travel agency or a travel insurance company that doesn't do that. And it causes problems of its own, I may tell you. About contact tracing. Tracing close contacts in school is very weird. My daughter told me they do contact a person who sits before and on the left and the right. She asked me if they don't think the virus can go diagonally. I know. 1850-715-996. There was news yesterday from the Opera House. Cork Opera House. The bad news, no panto this year, which we kind of knew was coming anyway. But the good news is they are going to have a new season and they're going to put loads of it online. Eileen Gleeson is their chief exec. Eileen, good morning. Hi, PJ. How are you doing? I'm grand. It's been a tough few months and I guess I spoke to others about the panto earlier in the year. It was a decision you were... You had no option, really, had you? We really didn't, PJ. And, like, it's a decision that we were, of course, absolutely devastated to make. I mean, it's our, like, it's our absolute pride and joy. And we put so much of ourselves into that show every year. And people come come in their droves, their tens of thousands to see it. And it just is absolutely the opposite of what we want, is to make that decision about the panto. But, you know, public health has to come first. And the Opera House has to, has to you know, we see, we see it as our position to lead the way in that, in many ways, as a place of public public assembly, you know. Mm. Um, Your so summer yeah, show, of course, had to go as well. Our summer show had to go as well, yeah. We were due to do a, a six-week run of Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, which was a huge undertaking for us as well, and one that we were really excited about. It's a show that we've been wanting to do for a long time. Mm. Um, but, you know, PJ, you know, I'm hoping and I'm, I'm confident that, you know, we'll be able to do it at some point, you know, and the work mm. won't go, have gone to waste, you know. You've launched a season uh, with a difference now for the winter time. Yeah, we have. Like what we've did, what we've tried to do in the Opera House for the next season, I suppose, is really look at the incredible talent that we have on the ground here in Cork, and to really advocate on behalf of the artists, which the Opera House, in its history, has always done. We've always given a platform to local musicians and local artists to come onto our stage and show us their wares, and there really seems to be. I suppose this seems to be like a really important moment to do that, you know. Mm. Um, you'll see from the lineup, it's a lot of music, um, which I think is probably what's featured most on our stages uh, in, in our annual programme. Um, but you'll see we have everything from jazz to traditional music to new music by John O'Brien and, and Aideen O'Donoghue. We have music from the musicals, we have a little bit of opera, we have Christmas music, we have live music, you know, mm. so we're, we're kind of ticking all the boxes across the genres, music-wise, with the hope that we can really access our full, yeah. I suppose, the full range of now, These will be online shows. How is it going to be done? Yeah, so these will be on our stage, and you'll be able to tune in from the comfort of your home. Um, you can buy your tickets on our website, um, and they'll be and they'll be hosted on our website. So you'll be able to you'll be able to watch these shows. Um, oh, it'll very, be video as well as audio. 
There'll be video as well as audio, yeah. Great. Yeah, so people will be able to like see the opera house and see the musicians and see them in action. And, you know, we'll do our best to create an atmosphere so that, you know, when you're sitting at home watching it, you know, we'll do our very best to try and bring you, I suppose, in your imagination into the opera house. Something that I'm particularly excited about is your Christmas concert. And Lord knows there isn't, love nor money can't get a ticket for that show. Yeah. But that'll be online this year, which means you won't be limited in numbers, or will you? Well, this is the great thing about, I suppose, going online. I mean, you have to look at the opportunities in these things as well, and you have to kind of remain positive as much as you can. I mean, people can join us from all over the world now for this this year, you know. And we can't say that every year because, you know, there are a limited number of seats in the Opera House, and we've, we can only run the show for two nights in normal years because the rest of the time our capital is on. So this year we're really going to throw the kitchen sink at the Christmas concert and really, really try and make it a very, very special occasion for people to tune in. I think we can all say that Christmas is going to be extremely, exceptionally important this year and we'll really give in to celebrating the important things in life. And our Christmas concert is always an opportunity to do that. It's an always beautiful thing, a beautiful experience, and we'll do our best to do that for our patrons again this year. Yeah. It's this this pandemic, look, for all the, the health reasons, obviously, the first and foremost, for but for an industry like, like theatre and, and live music, uh, it, it, it's, it was the, they were the first ones to close and the, and the mm. last ones to open. It's been so hard, hasn't it, Eileen? PJ, it's been devastating. There's no other word for it. And, you know, our business, we exist. Our very purpose is to bring people together in our under our roof and to celebrate life and celebrate relationships and art and music and everything that's beautiful about the world we live in. So to not be able to do that has been exceptionally hard. You know, um, however, you know, our programme, really, really, we really, really want to look at the advantages and look at the possibilities to come out of this. And that's why we're really pushing ahead with this programme, you know. Where can, we, where can we see the full details of it? You can see the, the, the full details on our website. And what I will say is just that, you know, it's really important that people continue to support the arts and continue to, to buy tickets for things and continue to engage with it on, on whatever level they can. Because, you know, without the people, without the patrons, without the people like engaging with us and loving what we do mm. you know we really we really want to live so it's really important that you know if you are an arts lover get involved come online watch our show it, it sounds like such a smashing it is so you go on you buy the tickets and then you get the link out is that you it? you get the link yeah absolutely it's very straightforward and you enjoy, and I, I mean, I mean it's, it's kind of setting a new tradition you know this year um, but hopefully in 2021 we'll be back and we'll be working our best everybody's working very hard to make sure that we'll be back in full kilt as soon as we can, yeah. we'll okay. be back in our... Well, here's open. hoping that the last show that I was at yeah. uh, before lockdown was uh, a tribute show, a Billy Joel Elton John tribute oh, show lovely. with my yeah. son back in the early part of the year. And that night he had a programme in his hand and he was going through, he said, Dad, we must go to that, we must go to that, we must go to that. And I like think that, 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 that's what my son, he did, loves going to, to music shows. And for just for us as a family, the loss of live shows has been mm. devastating. So I'm so looking forward to this and I wish you so much good luck with it. PJ, thank you so much and to all your listeners for all the support for the Opera House. Cheers. Thank you. Cheers. That's Eileen Gleeson, Chief Executive of Cork Opera House. Their new season will be online, including the Christmas concert, audio and video. We were hoping to talk today or to hear an interview today with a doctor from Cork, Dr. Paul O'Brien, who is in China and he's quarantining in a hotel room in China, and believe it or not, his wife is quarantining in a different hotel. And I wanted to talk to him about the whole quarantine, hotel quarantine thing, because so many people say, "Well, you couldn't do it." Well, you actually could, because they're doing it. 
they're doing it and the, the rewards are huge when you come out of it at the other end. So we'll catch that tomorrow. Uh, other developing events has had it rescheduled. But for now, though, that's it. The programme edited by Terry Brennan, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. Stay safe, keep your distance, wash your hands, wear your mask. we we'll see you tomorrow just after nine.